Christ. I love what Jesus does and the way that he leads us and the way that he sets us up in life situations and circumstances to test us and um, to grow us. Here's what we're going to do today. Today I'm going to be using this text in order to talk about finances, in order to talk about money. And I know that everyone this morning, as you got up, you were just hoping that the pastor today would talk about money. Here's, here's the title for today. It's this. Here, here's, the, here's the title. It's Faith With Your Finances. It's, I, I think we got screens out at the moment. See, the enemy is real. He, he doesn't want us. The enemy is real. He doesn't, he, doesn't want it, he doesn't want you to get this word today. He's shutting down the computer. Here's the title for today. It's this. Faith With Your Finances. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to we're going to talk about the topic of money, and as we do, I just want to um, acknowledge a few things. I haven't uh, preached, I don't believe, I don't think I've taught on the topic of money the entire year of 2021. Uh, but this week, I felt like the Lord led me to this text, and I felt like it was fitting for the faith initiative and our faith commitment and what we're going to be doing to dive into this. And let me just say from um, out the gate that there's a lot of hurt. Um, there's a lot of trauma um, as it relates to the topic of money, specifically in um, the church world. Uh, some of you have been burned by a church or burned by a ministry in the area of finances. Some of you have been involved in churches or ministries where there was abuse of money, where there was extortion of finances. Some of you have been a part of churches or ministries where there's, uh, it's like secrecy as it relates to the finances and there's not transparency and there's a lot of trauma and a lot of issues I know that are related to this topic. And there's two basic um, extremes. Um, on, on one hand, extreme number one are churches or ministries that speak incessantly about money um, because they have an overemphasis on the area of, of finances. And so this is what drives the church. It's finances. This is what makes the decisions. It's, it's all about finances at the end of the day. It's over and over and over. It's finances, finances, finances. On the other extreme, on the other extreme are churches or ministries who are silent on the topic of finances because of the challenges, because of a fear to offend people or because they don't want to upset anyone. And churches essentially go silent on the issue and um, they uh, don't say anything about it, which is equally unhealthy as the other extreme. Now, I know that... Um, as well, that many of you that I mean, people are here uh, that are part of the bridge on every spectrum financially, or when we think about money and where people fall, we have people literally who are on on every uh, spectrum. And so, let me just let me just say as well to um, specifically to the person today that is struggling. Uh, financially, uh, to the person that is um, broke, to the person that can't afford their bills, to the person that perhaps just lost a job or perhaps someone who had a spouse walk out on them. We, actually, we have these people in, in our church because I know of them. Um, I want you to know today that if you're struggling and if you're upside down financially, we love you, uh, we see you, you matter, you are valued uh, to God, and we are a church that is extremely generous to um, our people. Um, in fact, um, let's see how far we are in our fiscal year, July, um, August, September, October. November. So we're five months into um, our fiscal year as a church, and we've almost already depleted all of our um, budget-lined item towards helping our members and people that are struggling financially. And so, so here's what that means is that most likely at the next meeting uh, this month um, or soon is going to happen, um, our board is going to approve additional funds to, to go towards that. So, so here's, here's what I mean. Even if you walk into the room today or you join us online and you're, you're struggling financially, um, hear, hear this. Sometimes um, you, you are in the role of giving to the church and sometimes the church is in the role of giving to you. 
Okay, so, so whoever you are today, this is not a guilt sermon. This is not like we genuinely want to help you reach out to us, reach out to your community group leader. Um, let us know. Um, uh, we, we plan, as the scriptures say, to, to take care of one um, another. And so, and, and so regardless of, of where you fall on the spectrum, I just want you to know that um, I invite you into uh, the conversation today. It's, it's interesting, too, in, in light of a global pandemic, I, I really had no clue what to think about for our people and finances and well-being. And um, I got to be a part of a, a group, uh, a kind of a study group uh, this, this fall with a group called Barna, which is a, a national uh, Christian ministry that uses research and data to try to help um, expand the church and grow, grow the kingdom. And it was interesting in this, um, in this group that they released some, some data on, they'd surveyed nationally practicing Christians. And here's what's interesting about the financial well-being of the average practicing Christian in America. Um, their numbers were 50%, roughly 50% of practicing Christians are about the same, in the same situation financially as they were pre-COVID. Um, about 18% of practicing Christians are in a less financially healthy position as they were to pre-COVID. And then 32% of practicing Christians are more financially healthy than they were uh, pre-COVID. And so here's what, here's what that means is that we've got people um, all over the map on this. And when you think about your investment in the church and your investment in the kingdom of God, as you'll see later at the end of the sermon, um, God doesn't ask you to do anything other than what, he, than what you can do and then what he has given you. And so um, I think it's helpful for us today um, to, to, talk up, to talk about this, especially so many people that are new, so many people that are new at the bridge and what, you know, how to think about what the Bible says about giving and finances and all these things. So I think it's gonna be helpful for you um, as, we, as we dive into this text, as we think about the way that um, we should uh, give. So here's, here's, here's what I wanna do. Um, based on the scripture that you have just seen, I wanna walk you through this scripture and then I'll give you a few points of emphasis that I think are helpful as we think about um, our faith and our finances. So here's what it says back, if you look back in verse five, it says this, Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. And turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? And he was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. And Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough food or enough money rather to feed them. I want to point out that this is an intentional testing situation on the subject of resources and finances. So this entire situation, this whole story, uh, Jesus is not lost. Jesus doesn't know where he is. Jesus is like, oh, wow, I crossed the Sea of Galilee and now I'm on the side of a hill and it's amazing that I got here. No, Jesus knows everything that, that, that has happened over the course of this day. He knows exactly where he is leading them. Jesus knows that he's going to be on a hillside with a few thousand people and no food. All right, so Jesus has intentionally orchestrated this situation to be a testing situation for his followers and for his disciples. Now look at verse eight. It says, then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. He said, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that with this huge crowd? So immediately there is an apparent shortage of resources. Jesus puts them in a situation where there seems to be a shortage of resources. Has anyone ever been in a situation, just by the way, <laughs> where it seems to be a shortage of resources? Um, how many of you are like, that's my life, you know? Um, it is not uncommon that Jesus puts them and Jesus puts us in situations where it seems like the resources, there's 
a shortage. And it's a test. And Jesus is, Jesus is doing this um, intentionally. So it seems like there's an apparent shortage of resources. And then as well in verse 11, it says, then Jesus took the loaves and he gave thanks to God. He distributed them to all the people. And afterward, he did the same with the fish. And they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. And, and, and here's kind of what we see is that Jesus steps into what seems like an impossible situation, a shortage situation. And Jesus uses that situation to multiply um, and to increase faith um, in the people that were there present that day and in his disciples. So let me give you a few principles that I think will help us as we, as we think about this. Here's number one. It's this. There are no resource shortages in the kingdom of God. All right. There's just no, no, there's no resource shortages. Um, we don't need government funds. Um, we, we don't need um, a strong military for the kingdom of God. We don't need some kind of stable treasury or, or there aren't, there's, there's never a shortage of resources in, in the kingdom of God. We're never in a situation where, where God is um, out of pocket, where, where God's short on funds. God, God's, we're never in a situation where there is a shortage of resources in the kingdom. And Jesus is not in despair in this situation. Jesus isn't freaking out. Jesus isn't losing his mind because he doesn't know what to do. He's not stressed out. He's not perplexed. He's not discouraged that there's only a few loaves and a couple of fish fillets. So here's what that means is that we, we can't believe the lie that we don't have what it takes for God to move. Amen. We can't believe the lie that we don't have enough for the kingdom to grow. We can't believe the, the lie that, that, that there's a shortage and, and that we don't have enough. So Christians, followers of Jesus, hear me clearly. We're never operating out of a shortage. We're never operating out of a shortage because if we're connected to God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, by the way, he can provide every resource that is necessary for every aspect of his will and his plan. There's never a resource shortage in the kingdom of God. Now, here's, here's the next thing that I think is important for this. The next point, it's this. Everyone can contribute to the kingdom of God. Everyone can contribute to the kingdom of God. Every single person. He, he takes this little boy he takes this little boy that's got a few loaves of bread and, and, a, and a couple fish who, who even the disciples are like, we, this is nothing. Even the disciples are like, this doesn't actually help anything. This doesn't help the cause. Um, and Jesus is going to show that even this boy with the least amount of resources has the ability to contribute to the kingdom of God. So here's what that means. Don't believe that you can't be a giver. Right. Don't believe that you can't be a giver. Don't believe the, the lie that, that you can't contribute. Don't believe the lie that, that your giving doesn't impact anything. You're like, well, Pastor Ethan, I, I'm broke. Pastor Ethan, I don't hardly give any. Pastor Ethan, I can't, I can't. I... Don't believe the lie that you can't be a giver, okay? You can be a giver. Everybody say, I can be a giver. Everybody say, I can be a giver. Everybody say, I can make a difference. I can make a difference. See, everyone can contribute to the kingdom of God. And so we can't believe the lies that, that we don't have the ability because of a lackage of resources or because of whatever, because of our gift isn't as big as the next person's. No, we can all contribute to the kingdom of God. And, and then here's, here's, I think, the, the, the main point about uh, the main takeaway for today. It's this. It's more about the size of your faith 
than the size of your finances. It's more about the size of your faith than the size of your finances. And, um, and, and honestly, I don't, um, I, I've said this um, often. I currently, my practice is I don't look at individual contributions of people at the bridge. I just, I don't know. I'm not going to know what anyone has given to this faith uh, commitment except for me and my family. I don't know what you give on a regular basis. Um, I just choose to, right now, I practice that. I, I don't think that's my role, and I don't think it's necessary for me to do that. We have an operations team and other people that take a look at all that stuff, and, and that's good. Um, but I want you to hear today that even this faith commitment, it's not about finances, it's about faith. Um, now, it, it is a, about finances on, on, on some level, and this, this was a resource issue, so resources are important. But for Jesus, it's, it's more about the size of your faith than the size of your finances. And so um, this situation was not a resource issue. This situation was a faith issue. I want you to hear today that the faith commitment, the faith commitment is not primarily a resource issue. It's a faith issue. So for instance, if, if here at the Bridge Church, we had like all the funds you could ever imagine. I mean, just, just imagine. I mean, we had, we had, the bank account was like, I mean, we just, we had so much money at the Bridge Church that we didn't even know what to do with all the money. At the, I mean, imagine that we were in that situation. Pastor Chris, um, maybe, maybe some, someday we're going, maybe in faith, we'll, we'll maybe. Um, assuming that that'll never happen. I mean, uh, because it probably wouldn't be good stewardship to just sit on the cash that God has provided for his kingdom. But anyways, just imagine theoretically um, that we're in that situation. Would we still do a faith initiative? Yeah. Yes, because it's important for the people of God to be brought to places in their own faith journey where they have to be confronted with their own faith and how they'll respond to a situation that God puts in front of them. You see, are you with me? And so this isn't primarily a resource issue. It's a faith issue. And so God is more concerned about the size of your faith than the size of your finances. It's about faith, not finances. Now, um, this, this week, um, we had um, someone in Bridge Kids um, who they're talking about it in Bridge Kids, and they're talking about the upcoming faith commitment and the faith initiative and so on and so forth. And we had, um, they're giving already towards it, which is awesome. And then we had a, um, we had a young person, I'm not sure who, I don't know who this is, but um, we had a young person who uh, went ahead and gave a, an amount to the um, faith commitment. I want to show it to you right here. This is the envelope. And if you can kind of see, it might be a little bit hard to see, but can you see? It's, it's 37 cents. It's 37 cents. And now, when you, when you initially see that, kind of what do you think? God, that's nothing. You know, um, I, I know when I, when, I, when I first saw that, I mean, my first uh, thought was like, is there, is there nothing in front of the decimal place? I mean, is there like, I mean, is, are we, are we, is it like literally we're behind the decimal? And, and, and um, Patrice was like, uh, hey, this was just, this was just some, somebody in some, some kid in Bridge Kids. And I was like, that's absolutely amazing. We've got a kid that's sitting in Bridge Kids who is already taking what they have and using it for God and his kingdom. Is that not amazing? And so um, 37 cents, it, that, w imagine the kind of sacrifice that would be for, for that child. They're probably not sitting on a couple mil, you know, as, as a kid, you know, I mean, he's probably, that person, he, he or she probably has maybe a few more coins, maybe, I don't know, maybe a few, maybe, that, maybe that's all that, that that child had. And they're responding in childlike faith, 
using what God has put in their hands and giving it to him to be a part of what he is doing, his kingdom and his mission. I can get excited about that. I, I, I can get amped up about, I can get pumped up about that. See, it's not primarily about the size of your finances, really, really at all. It's about the size of your, it's about the size of your faith. I love the old 1924 hymn that says, little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. So I want us to, to think about today that what, what is it, this line in the sand, this, this moment that we are facing today, how, how am I going to respond um, to this situation? And am I, am I going to, after being confronted with, a, with an opportunity, am I going to respond in, in faith? Um, or am I going to respond um, looking at my, my resources and my situation and, and maybe thinking about why I can't contribute and why I can't be a part of this? Now, Here's what inevitably happens whenever you begin to start, start talking about um, money and finances in the church. And, and I genuinely, um, I know that you, and I've been on this own journey myself, but like, what should I give? Like, what does it look like to actually be a faithful giver to the church and to the kingdom of God? How much should I give? Should I give a percentage? Should I give occasionally? Should I give maybe just once a time, once every, at the end of the year? Um, what does the Lord require of me? What does the Lord expect of me? I heard about this thing called the tithe. Does that mean that I need to give 10%? If I don't give 10%, does that mean I'm not a good Christian? If I give over 10%, does that mean I'm a great Christian? You know, what exactly, how in the world should I give? Here's, here's what I want to do, and I'll walk through these pretty quickly. Um, I believe there are three biblical tensions that we have to hold on to when we think about our resources, specifically when we think about our finances, and really what scripture holistically kind of demands of us or, or invites us into as we think about our finance. So three biblical tensions that I'll mention, um, and, and these will be good for maybe you to process uh, with, with a spouse or with a friend or with a roommate or somebody like that. Here's, here's number one, it's this. Giving should be both joyful and radical. Now here's what's gonna be, you're gonna find this out most likely as we go through this. If you're married, one of your spouses probably prefers one of these and the other one probably prefers the other. That's probably, that's probably how this is gonna go. One of you gonna, is gonna lean one way and the other one is going to lean the other way. Now, here's the first one, joyful. What, what, what I mean by that is like, man, I should, it should just be fun. I should, should, be, should love to give and we just, it's, it's just a happy thing. And then, you know, the other spouse is like, no, we gotta give a lot. You know, we gotta give, you know, it's gotta hurt, it's gotta sting, it's gotta... So, so how, should we, how should we think about this? Well, when we think about joyful giving, let me give you a couple scriptures. Second Corinthians 8, 8 through 9 says this. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. And then he says this, this is the apostle Paul. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's talking about money. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. Here's what that means. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, we don't give because we have to. We don't give because we're forced to. We give because we get to. Because God has already given to us that Jesus has already laid down his life. That though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. And so what that means, that means I give out of a joyful place. I give gratefully. I give generously. It's, 
I'm amazed that I get to participate with Jesus and what he's doing in the world after everything that he has done for me. So I'm grateful. I'm joy- it's, it's a joyful way that we get to get. Now, in addition to being joyful, well, let me read one more verse as well. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. It's an important one. Uh, Paul says this, God loves a cheerful giver. Here's what that means. God loves it when you give with a smile on your face, when you're happy when you give. Like if you like white knuckle it, God's not pleased by that. Like you get your hands in your pockets. Like that, that doesn't, it's not even helpful. Like it doesn't actually, it, it might be money that you're throwing, but God's more concerned about your heart than, than the actual money. God's more concerned about what's going on in the inside rather than what's going on in your bank account. God, God's more concerned, he, he loves a cheerful giver. Now, this is one of the ways that you know that um, you actually understand what the gospel is and what Christ has done for you. The person that has genuinely understood the gospel, man, they have a heart of generosity and they have a heart of joyfulness where they, they get to give. It's no longer a have to, it's a get to. And so first, first uh, giving must be joyful, but then also it must be radical. So let me mention a couple scriptures for you. Second Corinthians 8, 1 through 3, it says this. Paul says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. He's using them as a test case. For in a severe test of affliction, it was bad news for them. Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. They're in extreme poverty, but they're also in an, in an abundance of joy simultaneously that responded in a wealth of generosity on their part. And he says, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Here's what it means. Sometimes if you're a follower of Jesus, when you give, it's radical. Sometimes what the Lord will lead you to do is to give in a radical sense. It will not make sense. It's, it's, it's beyond your means. Sometimes you look at your budget, you look at your spreadsheet, you look at your bank account and you're like, I don't know how in the world that we can do this. I don't even think this makes sense, but this is what I feel like the Lord is leading uh, us to do or leading me to do right now. Sometimes when you are following Jesus, it, it means that you're gonna give beyond your means. Means means you don't really have the means to do it. Means means that sometimes it, you're going to give in a way that seems foolish to your family, foolish to a friend, foolish to your neighbors, your coworkers, whatever. Um, some, sometimes, sometimes what God calls us to is radical giving. In, in fact, I'll read another scripture for you. Acts 4, 32 through 35 says this. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common, which they recognized that they didn't actually own the things that they possessed, that it belonged to God. There was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any has need. That seems pretty radical to me. Sometimes following Jesus, being true to what he demands of us and what he commands of us, sometimes what that means is that you're gonna give in such a way that it's gonna be radical. They're selling houses they're selling real estate, all for the sake of the community of God's people and the mission of God's people. So first of all, the first tension is that giving must be um, joyful and radical. Here's, here's the next one. And that's not the only one. You've got to hold all these together in tension. Here's the second one. Giving should be both prayerful and regular. Prayerful and regular. Prayerful means that you need to, in your own heart, pray 
Um, ask the Lord, what would you have me to give? What would it look like for me to give? Father, Holy Spirit, you know the resources that I possess. And so I'm going to pray and ask that you would help me and lead me in what I should give. It should be prayerful, spirit led, but then also it should be regular, which means it should be a common practice. It means there's giving often that you don't even have to pray about. There's giving that God's, God expects of us that doesn't even require a prayer to do it because it's just expected of us. So here, here's this. It should be prayerful. Look at this, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Paul says this, you must each decide in your own heart how much to give. Does that say the pastor needs to tell you how much to give? No, it says you, you each. You each in your own heart much, must decide how much to give. And then he says, uh, don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Don't give like in response to prayer. If you feel like this whole faith initiative thing is um, in your mind, if, you, if you've decided that this is like a pressure thing, don't, don't, don't do it. Just, just pass, pass on it, okay? This is not any pressure. This is not force. This is not guilt. This is not mani manipulation. This is opportunity. This is invitation. This is opportunity to grow. This is opportunity to invest. This is an opportunity to be a part. And Paul says, um, you gotta decide in your own heart. You've got to decide in, in your own heart um, seeking the Lord, uh, praying, asking what God would, would give you. So it first needs to be prayerful. And then it also needs to be regular. It needs to be regular, which means our giving towards the kingdom needs to be consistent. It needs to be systematic. Um, Proverbs three, verse nine says this, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Here's what that means. God expect, expects that when he blesses you with, with resources, with income, with produce, with whatever God, God gives you. God expects that your first fruits, you immediately, you give that back to him. It's the principle of the first fruits, which means um, you don't wait till the end of the month to see how much is left over to give to God. You see what God puts in your hands and then just out of an act of faith, out of an act of obedience, you go ahead and you decide, I'm going to give right back. I'm going to give back to what um, God is doing as well. Second Corinthians 8, 7 says this, since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love for us, Paul says, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. Paul was writing to the Corinthian church, and they were, they were so intentional about, um, about speaking in tongues and spiritual gifts and prophetic words and encouragement. And it was like they had classes for it. They had courses for it. They had seminars and conferences. And Paul says, I want you to also be just as intentional with your giving. I want you to be just as intentional with the way that you think about your resources and the things that God has given you. So it needs to be prayerful and irregular. So if, you, if you're married, one of, one of you as a spouse loves the prayerful side. We're just going to pray about it, you know? And, what, and the other person is like, no, we're going to be systematic and we're going to do it. And this is going to be the amount and this is going to be the percentage. And it's like, it's both. It, it, it's both. So giving um, should be both prayerful and regular. And then here's the third tension. Number three is this. Giving should be both local and global. It should be both local and global. Here's what I mean when I say local. I mean the local church. I mean this local family, this local body, or whatever the local family is that you've committed to. Whatever is your faith family. <laughs> the, the expectation in most of the New Testament is that you and I are one anothering each other. Whether it's giving, whether it's forgiving, whether it's helping, supporting, bearing one another's burdens, all those things that we're one anothering those things primarily in the context of a faith community, of a local church. Um, that's how you do the one another's. 
We're not expected to do the one another's with people that are in um, South Africa right now or in East Asia right now. We don't really have the ability to do that necessarily on a daily basis. But we, we do um, on an individual basis here in a local family. Um, this says this in Acts 2, 2, 44 through 45. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. What that means is that they were coming together, they were giving of their resources to meet local needs, to meet the needs of the body, which means they were willing to utilize their resources for the needs that were present within their faith family, in their local family. As well, Galatians 6.10 says this, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Do good to everybody. He says, but, or and, especially to those who are of the household of faith which is this emphasis, this kind of primacy of the local um, body, the local church, this faith family, whatever it is that is your local church, your faith family, God expects you to operate as a follower of Jesus primarily in that uh, family. And that not, not, not as like a, you can't go anywhere or do anything else with, without anybody else, but he expects you to be operating and working out your faith in the context of a local faith family. And so not only local, but then also global. In 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 3, it's, I mentioned it earlier, but I think it's a good example of this. So globally, to the, to the body of Christ globally, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 says this. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So the Apostle Paul is talking about another church in a different region, in a different location, and he's actually using them as a test case for their generosity to their local church. He says, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in the wealth of generosity on their part, for they gave according to their means, and as I can testify, beyond their means of their own accord. Here's what that means is that our generosity should not just be expressed here in our local family, but we're connected to a body of Christ that is, that's global, that's across the entire world. And we operate together and like a global family of the church, uh, the global family of the kingdom. And, and, and therefore we should use our resources as we can, even for those who are outside of our local body, to those that are doing church planning, to those who are in significant need, to those who walk through um, natural disasters, to those who have um, whatever the need is, is that we actually see ourselves connected to them and we have to express our generosity um, in, in that way. I know many of you are involved in ministries and other organizations that are global, that are around the world. Um, my wife and I, we participate and we, we, we give financially um, every single month to, um, to a few organizations that, that we believe in that aren't just the Bridge Church, but that are actually that are global, that we invest in because we believe it's a part of what um, God's doing in his, his kingdom. So let me, let, let, let me do this. Um, with that being said, um, I want you to see today from the story with Jesus feeding the 5,000 with just these few loaves and these two fish. I want you to see today that um, there were really two miracles, if you'll let me use that word liberally, uh, two miracles that, that happened. Um, the first miracle that was happening um, was the miracle that was around the disciples, the miracle of multiplying the bread and the fish so that others could be fed. Can I make the case that I think there was an even greater miracle that was at play? And the greater miracle was not just the miracle that was happening near them or around them, it was the miracle that was happening in them. 
It was the miracle that was happening in them. In Jesus' mind, miracles are fine. Miracles are great. The scriptures call them signs and wonders, but signs and wonders and miracles don't exist for themselves. The reason why Jesus did signs and wonders, yes, he loved people. Yes, he cared for people. Yes, he was doing acts of mercy and justice because he cared for the people that were around them. But the reason that they were signs and wonders was because Jesus was trying to accomplish an even greater miracle in the people that were around him in the people that were near him, in the people that were with him. I want you to hear today, and I want you to believe today that there, there's a greater miracle that God has, has got in store for you. And the miracle isn't just in what he wants to do through the bridge. And God's doing amazing things through, through the bridge. It's absolutely freaking, can I say that, amazing what God is doing through the bridge. It's, it's awesome. Um, I love it. I love what God has in store for us. I love where he's leading us. I think we're going to be a pioneer of churches in Wilmington, not because we're better than anybody, but because God has a specific anointing on what he wants to do for our church and for this place. I'm jacked about it. I'm excited about it. I'm pumped about it. We gotta be faithful. We gotta stay the course. We gotta hang in there. We can't get knocked out of this thing. We gotta, we gotta be faithful. I, I, I'm so jacked about what God wants to do in and through us, but I'm even more excited about what God wants to do in you, what he wants to do in you, the faith that he wants to stir up in you. And so I would, I would ask you today, um, as we think about this moment and we think about this situation, not just what does God want to do near you and around you, but what does God want to do in you? We need to be people of faith. We want to be people of faith. We want to be people in in a world that seems to be increasingly ever hostile to the message of Jesus. We want to be people of faith that trust God and believe God and that put our money where our mouth is, that we step out in faith and that we invest our time and our lives and our resources in the kingdom. Now, there are lots of different kinds of people that are here today. Um, some of you are, are non-givers, meaning maybe you're like not even a follower of Jesus yet, and that's totally fine. You don't, you don't have to give a dime. Some of you are non-givers just because you don't know how to or you've never done it before. That's okay. Some of you are new givers, which means you've actually taken the step of, of, of giving something at some point in the past to the bridge or to something else. Um, some of you are consistent givers, which means you've stepped out and begun to figure out what it looks like to, to give on a regular basis towards God's kingdom. And then some of you are legacy givers, which you've been doing this perhaps for a long time or you've been really seeing your resources about how you can make a legacy impact in the kingdom, how you can change generations, um, how, you, how God has given you your resources to actually make um, significant impact. Regardless of, of who you are today and regardless of kind of where you fall on that spectrum, I would encourage you, man, what would it look like you to participate in this um, faith commitment? What would it look like for you to, to, to put some resources towards what I think is one of the most important uh, needs in the world today, which is to see uh, God's kingdom come here now. So if you would, um, I want you to turn your attention to the screen and, and, and it's a kind of a recap after, after the last few weeks of what the faith initiative is and, and some of the heart behind it. So if you would, turn your attention to the screen. Here at The Bridge, we end every year with a special season of faith. We believe it's important to set aside time to align our hearts with God's mission in the world and to respond in faith to what he's calling us to do. Each year we do this through a special offering called the Faith Initiative. It's an intentional way we can take a radical step of faith together and join God in his mission here in Wilmington and around the world. We believe God's resources for God's kingdom reside in God's people. That means you and me, 
vision is in the people. That's why our generosity fuels the kingdom of God and advances his mission here in our city and around the world. As we end 2021, we are inviting everyone at the bridge to make a one-time financial offering above and beyond your regular giving to this faith initiative to see the kingdom of God come here and now. This year's faith initiative will allow us to impact the kingdom of God in three areas. For our family, for our city, for our world. In order for all of this to happen, it will take resources. All together, including the three categories for our family, for our city, and for our world, our total need is $355,000. We believe there is no limit to what God can do. There is no limit to what God can do through you. There's no better investment in the world than the kingdom of God. There's no better place to invest your life, invest your energy, and invest your dollars than God.